three, two, one. morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Kuma House. As always, I'm your host Jordo, and I would like to just say a huge thank you to everyone out there who's joining me. So recently I've gotten back into audiobooks. Don't get me wrong, I love to read, and I do thoroughly enjoy rocking out to some of my favorite tracks. However, there's just some occasions where the smooth pacing and calming voice are just the ticket. This really got me thinking about sound. What is it? How does it interact with things? And how can two people hear the same thing and have a completely different reaction to it? So this week on the podcast, you guessed it, we're talking about everything surrounding sound. So where's a good place to start our conversation for today? Well, I think that like anything, it's best to start a conversation in defining the criteria. So what exactly is sound? Well, sound is just a type of energy that's made up of vibrations. These vibrations start as a movement from some object, for example, a speaker, a guitar string, even your vocal cords. Uh, This object causes a movement in the surrounding air molecules. As these molecules move, they start to vibrate, and then they begin to vibrate the molecules that are next to them and so on and so on and a chain reaction begins and these chain reactions well it's something that we refer to as sound waves and they'll just continue moving on until eventually the wave runs out of energy this actually brings up a pretty interesting point Um, there's really two different ways that we can sort of discuss sound first there's the physical aspect of sound The way that the propagation of the wave occurs, how it acts on its surrounding environment, as well as the variety of frequencies um, that sound waves can occur in. And then the other way that we can discuss sound is in both the physiological and the psychological manner. The way our bodies receive and perceive sound, how our brains make sense of all these vibrations passing all around us. Alright, so let's begin today's discussion by talking about the physics of sound. Well, as we discussed earlier, or I guess as we started discussing earlier, sound is a wave. And as such, we can use the principle of waves to better analyze and to better understand sound. For instance, if you look at the frequency of a wave, that can allow you to better identify as well as classify that particular wave. One example of different frequencies that probably most of you are familiar with is in light. What we see as light is really just a small fraction of the uh, various waves that make up the entire electromagnetic spectrum. Things like infrared, ultraviolet, and gamma rays are all examples of light that is just imperceptible to humans. Now before we jump back into today's topic, Uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, note for informational purposes that yes, we typically classify light in wavelengths, not in frequencies. 
The fact that the speed of light remains constant though means that anytime we change the wavelength of the wave, the frequency is also affected inversely proportional um, to that, which is to say that it changes equally in the opposite direction. So yes, frequency, frequencies can be used to classify light waves, even though it's not common practice. Right, moving on. So when it comes to classifying sound waves, they fall into really just one of three categories. Hang on a second here. We've been talking about frequencies of this wave and frequencies of that wave, but we haven't really given any context to uh, what exactly frequencies are. Well, a frequency is a measurement um, of how many times an event occurs over a specific duration of time. We typically measure frequency in a unit called Hertz, uh, where the time is already preset as one second. So let's just try and put this into uh, perspective a little bit better. Um, imagine that you're standing on a dock and all around you the water is calm and it's clear. You take a small stone and you reach your hand out over the top of the water and drop the stone. What happens? There's some ripples in the water. For the purposes of this explanation, those ripples are going to be our wave. There are three major aspects of a wave, and although we'll mostly be speaking about frequency today, let's just try and put them all into context. First, let's talk about frequency. So as you stand on the dock, our wave uh, is slowly crashing into the side of the dock as the ripples spread outwards from where you had dropped the stone. Well, the amount of ripples that hit the side of the dock in one second would be what our frequency is in hertz. So the more ripples that are coming in packed closer together, uh, the higher the frequency. And, and inversely, the fewer um, ripples that are hitting the dock, the lower the frequency. Now, the next attribute of a wave is one that I've already sort of mentioned, and that's wavelength. Now, if we look again at our ripples in the water, if we were to measure the distance between the two between the highest point of two ripples that are in succession of each other, we would have measured the wavelength of our wave. So hopefully breaking it down like this uh, made it a little more clear in regards to the relationship between uh, frequency and wavelength that we previously discussed in light. Uh, the, the third aspect of a wave is one that I haven't mentioned so far, but one that does actually, in fact, relate to sound as well, and this is amplitude. Amplitude of a wave is the maximum distance or the maximum displacement uh, of a point of the wave as measured from the zero point or from the point of equilibrium. How can we relate this to our stone in the pond? Well, if we consider the still, unaffected, calm water as our point of equilibrium, then we need only to measure from this point to the very top or to the very bottom of any particular ripple in either direction. And if we make that measurement, we'll have found the amplitude of our wave. I'll leave a link in the episode description to an infographic that's showing these different waveform attributes uh, with all of them labeled. So now that we have some context, let's go back into discussing the three different classifications of sound waves. First, 
One that we were all most familiar with, sonic waves. These have a frequency of between 20 to 20,000 hertz. Uh, these frequencies are what we consider to be in the audible range. They are the noises, they are the conversations, they are the music, they are the sounds that we hear every day. This podcast falls within this frequency range. The second range that I'd like to discuss is the infrasonic waves. These sound waves are categorized as being by uh, any frequency that is below 20 hertz. Even though we're unable to hear these low frequencies, their waves are very much a reality. And just because they're not audible to us doesn't mean that's the case uh, for the whole animal kingdom. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to affect us either, but we'll get to that later. And the third classification of sound wave is ultrasonic waves. This term may be recognizable to some of you, uh, ultrasonic waves are just those with a frequency that is above 20,000 Hertz. So yes, this is the same technology that they utilize in hospitals. Um, what they do is they transmit high frequency sound waves through your body and those sound waves are then reflected back when they hit a dense object such as an organ or a bone or a baby. Uh, and the computer that it's connected to then decodes this information to present a viewable image. And in case you're wondering, yes, ultrasonic is the type of sound wave animals like bats use in their echolocation. All our research into sound waves has shown us many of its interesting characteristics as well as some of its quirks. For instance, on a calm day at around 20 degrees Celsius, sound will travel at around 1,200 kilometers an hour, which all things considered is pretty fast. However, it's not fast enough to not fall out of phase with its point of origin. It's this time differential between the speed of sound and the speed of light that allows us to do things like count the number of seconds after a lightning strike to determine how far away it is. And it's also the reason that that airplane that seems all but gone by the time you hear the rumble of the turbines passing overhead. But it's not just this time delay. Ambient conditions can drastically affect sound as well. For example, we know that sound waves travel by passing the movement of vibration between molecules. Well, in the instance of water, the molecules are more densely packed together. So when sound is transmitted through water, it can travel up to four times as fast as it can through air. And alternatively, uh, sound that's traveling in a strong headwind will be severely reduced in power and in the distance that it's able to cover. And the tagline from Ridley Scott's Alien, In Space, No One Can Hear You Scream, turns out that it's 100% true. Because of the nature of sound waves uh, and how they act upon their environment, they're actually unable to be transmitted through the vacuum of space. So now that we have some basics of sound covered, I'd like to move on to the perception of it, on how our bodies and our brains receive and process the sounds that we hear. Well, let's start with the physiological aspects of it, our ears. How exactly do our ears work? These things we call our ears are actually just one part of what makes up the whole human ear. Um, essentially, the outer ear is just a sound collector that's designed to funnel the sound waves into the ear canal, 
Once these sound waves enter the ear canal, then they start to act upon this uh, thin, flexible membrane that we refer to as our eardrums. As the eardrum vibrates, it acts upon the ossicles. What are those? Well, it's three tiny little bones that are inside your ear. These are actually the smallest bones in the human body. They're named after roughly what they look like. One of them is named the hammer, another one the anvil, and the last one is called the stirrup. So after the eardrum acts on the ossicles, the ossicles start to transmit the sound towards the inner ear. Once the sound waves reach the inner ear, they enter something uh, that's called the Coachella. The Coachella is an organ that's shaped like, sort of like the shell of a snail. And inside this shell is a fluid. And the fluid moves in response to the sound waves acting upon it. As this fluid moves around inside the Coachella, it acts on the some 25,000 small hairs, which are actually nerve endings. Uh, and these nerve endings transform the sound into electrical signals. The electrical signals are then sent to the brain, and then that's where things really start to get interesting. Even though the physiological process is the same, we all experience things in our own unique way. And yet, in so many other ways, uh, we're all so very similar. How is it that a top 10 song or a radio commercial jingle can get stuck in our heads so easily? And how is it that we can hear the sound of food being prepared and we can start to feel it in our stomachs? Well, the fact is that our brains are always listening. Haven't you spent time in an overly crowded public area where it seems like you're inadvertently picking up random pieces of information and little snippets of other people's conversations? Well, you can chalk that up to humanity's survival skills. Because when our ancestors were still hunter-gatherers, they relied heavily on auditory cues to help them hunt and to also keep themselves safe. Any foreign noise that couldn't be recognized by sight could be thought of as either a potential dinner or a potential danger. And seeing as evolution occurs through the survival of the fittest method, we can all say that we're all natural-born listeners. As such, we are heavily influenced by the noises that are around us. Busy city streets, car horns, and alarm clocks. Probably even just hearing these words uh, most likely allows you to paint a pretty clear mental picture of a situation where you might consider to be stressful or maybe even annoying. So how can we mitigate these things in our everyday lives? How can we be more conscientious of the sounds around us? And how can we make changes to improve our quality of life using sounds? Well, one thing you can do is you can make an attempt at changing your ambient noises. Uh, there are some noise machines that are available, or there's the other option, bird sounds, oceans, waterfalls, evening fields. Sometimes it can be as simple as turning on a fan at a very low speed to drown out the unwanted noises of a city or a park that's nearby. Being conscientious of your surroundings is really the key to being able to know the changes to make for yourself. I think it's also important to note that not only do the ambient sounds have an effect on you, but your sounds also have an effect on other people. Because audio cues have been such a large part of our existence for so long, we have this tendency to subconsciously make judgment calls based on things that we don't even realize that we're hearing. 
Let's take, for example, a person who's referred to as an up-talker, which is to say that when they speak to people, they have this tendency to end each of their sentences with some sort of vocal inflection that makes it sound like they're almost asking a question all the time. Now, if this person is somebody who's close to you, a friend or a family member, and they're asking or seemingly asking you questions like this, you're probably going to try and spend some extra time explaining something to them, or you're going to dedicate some time and some effort into trying to coach them through, th through something. However, if a person is exhibiting these exact same vocal cues in a different setting, say something like a job interview, well, then they might possibly come across as lacking a lot of confidence or potentially even being uneducated in the topic of conversation, which is most likely related to the potential future job they're going after. It's easy to see how subconsciously sounds can make a lot of difference in our day-to-day -day lives. Our involuntary perception of sound and all the things around us leads me to the matter that I'd like to discuss next. Music. It's everywhere. Cities, towns, tribal villages, in your car, and even at work. Music is a part of our everyday lives. But how does it have such an impact on us? Well, researchers are trying to discover exactly why it is that music can increase our mood or lower our stress levels, uh, lower our blood pressure, and even it can reduce pain in our bodies. So researchers using modern technology like MRIs and other types of brain scanning devices have discovered something incredibly interesting. It's been found out that when we listen to music, there's not just one particular area of our brain that's responsible for processing it. In fact, it's our whole brain that seems to light up. Different areas of our brain seem to be responsible for processing different areas of a song. One area for a beat, and another area for a pitch and loudness, and it can also be seen that part, uh, the parts of our brain that deal with emotions are also super engaged when we're listening to music, which is to say that music is directly wired into our feelings. Our emotions are so in tune with the sounds that are around us that even the sonic vibrations uh, that we can't hear can still affect our brains. Earlier we were talking about infrasonic sound. That's sound with frequencies that are lower than our ability to hear. And although the sonic profile uh, is useful for animals such as elephants and whales, mostly for communicating over very long distances, for us this type of sound profile brings us feelings of anxiety, of uneasiness, of anger, of fear. And it's even been shown that some horror movies will incorporate infrasonic sounds throughout so that you kind of get revved up for that good scare, regardless of whether you're thinking, oh, this is just a movie or not. It just seems crazy to me that we've found a way to play a sound that we can't even hear, and yet it's still able to affect our bodies in such a drastic way. So with all these developing technologies, and new information that's being brought to light every single day, it's no wonder that the research into the effect of sound on the human body and the human brain has really been taking off. So in preparation for today's episode, I found so many articles on how sound and on how music is being used to help 
treat patients with conditions such as dementia and all different types of sleep disorders, and even some mobility conditions such as Parkinson's. And reading some articles on a broader spectrum, oddly enough, it seems like us as humans aren't the only ones that really want to get down either. Uh, studies have shown that cows that are listening to music will naturally produce more milk than cows that aren't, and that there's certain types of plants that when exposed to certain types of music can actually increase their crop yields as well. It seems like Earth as a whole loves sound and loves music. Truly sound is an incredible thing. I, I truly do believe that we're only just beginning to crack the very surface on everything that sound and that music can do for us globally as a people. It already brings us together, it inspires us, and it does so many other great things. The possibilities with sound truly are endless. Well, it seems as though we've reached a good stopping point for today, and again, I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening in this week. I certainly hope you've all gained some new knowledge or picked up a little bit of insight on today's topic. So I'd like to invite you all back next week as we look into yet another intriguing and exciting subject. Our Instagram and our email are located in the episode description, so please feel free to reach out with any comments, questions, or concerns that you might have. And if you enjoyed this week's podcast, please consider liking and please consider sharing. Keep asking questions, always keep learning, and have a great week, everybody.